cliffcentral.com. It's three minutes past 12. I'm Pumi Mashekho. And this is me. It's Womantla Day. It's Wednesday as always. And there's a, there's a very, um, Every time I come to the studio, every time on Wednesday, I come to the studio at like 8 o'clock. I think if I could sleep here, I would. And everybody's always laughing at me about that. And and so today, everybody knows now why it is that this is always my day. I am totally keeping it real. That song is so my state of mind today. I'm so stressed out. This is a true story. Every single Wednesday, every single Wednesday, without fail, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, it's Womandla Day. And the first thing I do is come to the studio because I don't want things going wrong. It's a joke. It's an inside joke happening out here where everybody's always like, oh, we know it's Wednesday because you're here and it's like not even eight o'clock yet. And right now, I think everybody knows why I do that. I, I've been stuck in traffic. I've been in load shedding. I've been like running around and interviewing people. And I'm just trying to calm myself the fuck down so that I can have a, a very decent conversation with you. But I've got some interesting conversations lined up. True story, I got invited to a whiskey tasting. I got an invitation in my inbox the other day. And whiskey tasting, I'm like, mm, who drinks whiskey in this day and age? And astounding and an absolutely amazing experience that I had. I went out with Palisa on a Thursday night. She was hell of a impressed with me. Also, put me up in the club. <laughs> But also, I got to meet some really interesting people. And I suppose like a lot of you, I have the same misconceptions about whiskey. Because for me, whiskey is that drink that old guys have with cigars in in smoky lounges and bars. And I got this invitation and it told me about this incredibly interesting woman. She's a doctor. Like what? She's a doctor and she was the first and youngest ever female to be made a master blender in Scotland, Scotland, where whiskey comes from. And this obviously is an incredibly amazing train. But she was in Cape Town and I'm in Joburg. And I tried everything to try and get her to be on the show today. Can we phone her and interview her? Can we? I tried everything. I was like, can we pre-record an interview? I went to Greg. I was like, Greg, what's the... Greg is, is, is the guru, the technical guru around here. I was like, what can we do? Can I phone her? And then you record the phone conversation and the phone and all sorts of technical things. But in the end... In the end, because we are family up here in cliffcentral.com, I got a friend of mine and you all know her, Leanne Moll. She used to be on the show with Gareth and Mabale and um, Sia, the intern. And I phoned her and, and she's moved to Cape Town, as you all know. And I said, oh, please help me out, sister. Help a sister out. And what could have been better? I asked Leanne to go and interview and like join a whiskey tasting. She absolutely loved it. And she sent us... This little clip. This is Leanne talking to talking to Doctor Kirsty. It's a very personal experience. Everybody's nose is different. Everybody's palate's different. We all like different things. There's no such thing as a bad whiskey. So you like what you like. 
So those 20 rand, which um, I probably wouldn't want to try and convert now, but the really cheap ones that I see at the, on the bottom shelf of the bottle store, those are okay? If you like them, you like them. It's, <laughs> some, it's, up, it's up to everybody's personal taste, what, what they like. I suppose it's a difference between being a whiskey lover and a whiskey snob. I suppose it's, it's quite important to just drink the drink because you like it and sometimes not look at the label. Well, it's more, for, for me, the whiskey snob is you get people who say that you can only drink your whiskey with water, you can only add a touch of ice. For me, there should be no rules with whiskey. You like what you like and you drink it the way you want to drink it. That's, that's really refreshing. There's so <laughs> many rules when it comes to wine and so many things that are expected of you when it comes to craft beers and things like that. So I really, that's really refreshing. Um, that's really good to hear. So what was your dad's reaction when you started becoming what you have become today oh he was very supportive <laughs> <laughs> did he ask if there was going to be free whiskey yes that was the first question oh did I get any free booze <laughs> <laughs> and uh, obviously you know it's it's probably still a male dominated industry are you seeing more and more women coming into it yes definitely definitely there has always been women in the scotch whiskey industry it's just maybe more behind the scenes mm. but there's more and more women coming to the, the forefront within the industry so what were you drinking before you came across the entire whiskey industry? Uh, I actually drank whiskey. <laughs> so that was an easy progression for you yes. then? <laughs> Very natural. Yes, I wasn't so much a single malt drinker, it was blended whiskey. I, I liked a long drink, I liked whiskey with coke, I liked whiskey with ginger ale. I have developed my palate over the years and I now I love any whiskey. I'm always surprised when I see wine connoisseurs, whiskey makers and the like I think I always expect him to be drunk half the time. But you, you all look pretty normal and with it. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to drink it. We've got to spit it back out. Okay, so it's definitely a spitting thing. Yes. Okay, that's, that's the trick. Now I know. <laughs> so has anyone ever dated you for your whiskey? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, it must be, it must be quite intimidating. It's, it seems like a man's drink. That's what people think. It's cha- actually changing a lot. It, when you when you look at audiences, if you do whiskey, fe- go to whiskey festivals and you see people coming through the door, you can see the audiences changing. It's becoming younger. There's more women coming in as well. So it, there has recently been a big change in the whiskey industry. Okay, I think that's really great. So if I were to sit at a bar and a gentleman said to me, can he buy me a glass of whiskey? What are we looking at in terms of a bottom-of-the-range whiskey? Um, or should I go right in and, and go for a, an investment-type whiskey and ask him for a glass of that? What I would actually do is speak to the bartender about what flavours you like. Okay. That's, that's the important thing. It's, it's not so much the cost, it's the flavour profile. I, you know, I'd, I'd ask him what, what... The first question the bartender should ask you is, what do you like to drink? What do you usually drink? What do you like to eat? What flavours do you like? And then he can recommend a whiskey from there buy basically different flavours. What flavours do you like? I like lots and lots of different (laughs) flavours. I love peaty whiskies. I like non-peaty whiskies. I love the Bonahaven 25-year-old. That is an out-of-this-world whisky. I like a lot of different things. Now, um, a peaty whisky. I I have been on a tasting before, and if if I'm right, those are quite cloudy Looking whiskies or not no, necessarily? No, they don't have to be. No, basically, okay. well, that sounds like it might have been an unchilled filtered whisky, but um, no, they, they're the same. They're clear, exactly the same as uh, an unpeated whisky. Okay. The difference is when we make an unpeated whisky, we use malted barley, and in the malting process, you've got to dry the barley. When you make a peaty whisky, you've dried that barley using peat, 
as they, they, the, the fuel, the heat source, and you get all the smoky aromas go through the, the malt to make the whiskey. When you have like a, a, a non-peated whiskey, like Bunnahaven, it's the just use hot air to dry the malt, so there's no peat in the process at all. So you don't get any of that smokiness into the malt, and you don't get any of the smokiness into the whiskey. I think I remember that I didn't like the smoky one. Um, when I was at the whiskey tasting, I think that one's quite heavy and you have to have quite a discerning palate and lots of experience to enjoy that whiskey. There's, yeah, lots of people, you get, it can be very div- div- divisive. You get people who love it and you get people who hate it. Mm. You tend to find people might come into the category and they'll come in with the lighter flavours and they'll develop their palate into the, the heavier ones. But in certain markets, it's the opposite way around. They'll actually come in through the peaty whiskies and then work their way into the lighter whiskies. Right. So that's quite, quite unusual. Yes. It is. Um, okay, so we've been speaking about flavourings and different things that you like to have with your whiskey. I know that's one thing that you do enjoy doing is pairing food and whiskey. Yes. yes. That would normally, to me again, seem like something you did with wine. Would you sit down and have a meal with whiskey? Oh, yes, you can, yes. We, we've actually developed with a Michelin star chef a three-course meal for Bunnahaven that matches the, the, the core range of Bunnahavens to every course. Like we have the starters, a 12-year-old Bunnahaven, and it's oysters and scallops. It goes very, very well with seafood. The main course is actually smoked partridge Bunnahaven, for Bunnahaven 18. Bunnahaven 18 goes very well with game meat, red meat, so smoked partridge is ideal. And the dessert for the 25-year-old, twi- oh, it's gorgeous. It's a salted caramel ice cream Oof, gosh. with a toffee apple cheesecake. Now, something like that, whiskey would cut right through that sweetness and, and break it for you instead of having the sweetness overload of just having a dessert by itself. It does, but it also complements it because there's a lot of sweet berry notes and cream notes in the 25-year-old, so they complement mm. as well as contrast at the same time. Lovely. You were quoted as saying, there's a whiskey out there for everybody. All you have to do is explore to find it. So what can a non-whiskey drinking girl explore? Where should she start? Well, again, it's all it's all very very individual. And it depends on what you what you like, what flavours you like, what you appreciate. If say you're somebody who likes smoked fish or really heavy cheeses and things like that, you might like the peaty ones first. It just all depends. If you like sweeter things, maybe caramel, vanilla, you might go for a Highland like our Deanston's very honey heather, very vanilla in flavour. You might go for that. It's just it's all very individual. That's the, the thing with whiskey. You get, there's no set rules because it is down to everybody's own individual taste. What are your thoughts on Irish whiskey? Spelt differently? Tastes different? Uh, it's, it's a totally different product. It's a, it's a different category. They tend to triple distill rather than double distill. We, we double distill. Uh, there's some lovely Irish whiskies out there as well. Okay, so you, you, won't, you won't disparage them completely. No, I certainly won't. I certainly, there's lovely whiskies from all over the world. Yeah. Japan, Japan yeah. Finland, Sweden, they all make their own whiskey. South Africa as well. Yes, of course, Baines. I love Baines, yes. yes. Um, yeah, Baines has, has got quite a different flavour to a lot of the, the whiskies on the shelves here. I haven't tasted anything like that. It's, mm-hmm. quite, it's quite different. I sound like I'm a connoisseur now. I promise I don't drink that much. <laughs> <laughs> so can we ever expect a Kirsty McCullum bottle, your own blend, your own brand? Not my own brand, probably not, no. <laughs> it costs too much to buy the whiskies to put my own brand. <laughs> um, at the moment, I'm not actually doing much blending work. I'm now out in the markets doing brand ambassadorial. Eventually, hopefully, I will be back in the lab putting together blends. Okay. That's what I want to... I think. 
what I'm doing at the moment is great because you get to go and meet people. You get to see what actually people want, what they're looking for, get the kind of consumer insight in there as well. And hopefully eventually I can take that back to yeah, into the blending lab. That sounds promising. I suppose sometimes it's like being a boss. You're the boss. You've wanted to be the boss all along. And all of a sudden you realize you're not doing the work that you enjoyed when you weren't the boss. <laughs> um, okay, so... In South Africa, we've, we, we do make our own whiskey. I was reading an article recently on an aeroplane, and uh, it featured three lady whiskey makers. Mm-hmm. Is it becoming a trendy thing for women to get into this? I wouldn't say so, it's so much tr- a trendy thing. I think what's happening is, I've always found in the Scottish whiskey industry, it's not what sex you are that matters, it's if you can do the job. And I think there's, there's females out there who are just as capable of doing making whiskey as there is guys. It's all about the ability, you have to do it. And that might be why you're seeing more females coming through as well. The barriers have been broken down slightly and people are now being appointed for their ability. What is the world economy's effect on your whiskey sales and things like that at the moment? I mean, we've just had our budget speech here in South Africa and obviously there's always a sin tax on our alcohol and cigarettes. And Same in the UK. There we go. <laughs> and there it is again. We've just been slapped with a biggie. Um, and just generally with economic trends, we know that everything's not great at the moment. Mm-hmm. Are you picking that up in yeah, your industry? You'll, you'll, see certain, you'll see certain countries will go down or go up depending on financial situations. Yeah, and I think also whiskey might be seen as a luxury, not a necessity. Well, I suppose <laughs> it depends on your point of view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said that with my fingers crossed. <laughs> I'd like to think it's a necessity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it is for you. It's how you, you've made a life for yourself. Yeah, and it's also such a great product. I would never I, I would never be without a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of single malt sitting somewhere in the house. Okay, so what am I going to experience differently? Let's talk about the whiskies. Maybe we can start with a little bit of a tasting too. Okay. So Bunnahaven is an Isla malt. I mean, people usually think Isla malt, you think smoke. You think peat, you think Lafroig, Lagavulin, and Ardbeg. But I have, and it's totally different. It's a unique Isla. It's what I like to call the complex taste of Isla. There's lots of fruit, lots of nuts in there, and there's no smoke. So the first one we have on the mat is a 12-year-old Bunnahaven. It's been matured in a mix of ex-sherry and bourbon. So you get the nice fruitiness, the nuttiness from Bunnahaven. You get a touch of dried fruit from the sherry cask, a touch of vanilla from the, the, bourbon, the bourbon cask we're using. It's all brought together, and it finishes with this gentle hint of sea salt right at the back. Okay, I don't see any nuts in mine, but I, I'm going to try and taste. For, I'll try and give it a taste and see. Wow, it's pretty strong to a non-whiskey drinker. I think that small sips are key because you still pick up a lot of the flavour in that way. What I would suggest you do is, when you taste it, take a little sip and get your mouth used to the alcohol, and then taste it properly after that. Also, adding a, just a little touch of water just opens it up and kills the, the that kind of alcohol burn. I think they call it um, releasing the dragon or something like that when you oh. pour in a drop of water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't like that. I do, I do like, I do like, I do like that statement. <laughs> okay, I'll have another little taste now that my mouth's small. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely flavors in there. It's not, it isn't hand sanitizer. It's not just alcohol. I'm picking up a lot of the nuttiness that you mentioned yeah. um, and the rounded, the rounded finished taste. Yes, yes, lots of fruit in there as well. Yeah, and not smoky. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what do we have next? Right, the next one we have is the 18-year-old, so you're basically going to that one. Yeah. Okay. It's 100% sherry. You'll find that very different. 
18 years in the cast, so it's a bit more rounded. Lots of rich oak in there. The nuts are now honeyed nuts. There's a, a lot more um, dried fruit and a bit more spice. There's also a lot more sea salt at the back. It's had six more years storms washing over the, the warehouses, so you've got really got that coastal influence in the whiskey. Yes, that's quite something. I had no idea that there was so much involved. Yes, there's quite a bit. This this one is actually it's a lot sweeter in the palate. Mm. You tend to find that this goes quite well for females in the audience because it has got that nice sweet touch to the back of it. Yeah, it does seem more gentle mm. in flavour compared to the first. Yeah, really delicious. What would you eat this with? That one goes very well with red meat, game, that kind of idea. Okay, so we could probably have it at one of our South African brais, which are barbecues. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Might go down well with a, with, a, with a piece of steak, a fillet, or a lamb chop or something like that. Yeah, definitely the fillet. It would go fantastic with the fillet. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, what do we have next? The third one is the Butterhaven 25-year-old. It's... A little more mature again. This is this is my favourite bun I have, and so rounded, so complex. Lots of uh, lots of berries, lots of cream. You've got the nuts again, but they're roasted nuts this time. You've also got lots of sweet maltiness in this one. It's just so lovely, rich and robust. All right, let's give it a whirl. Mmm, that's remarkably different to to the other two I've tasted. It's it's almost more gentle. Cliffcentral.com. That was Leanne Mole. She took the time out of her day to go and interview Dr. Kirsty McCallum for me and taste some whiskeys. Now, she never told me until I listened to the clip that how she was out there tasting the whiskeys without me. And, and we had this conversation. I said, do the interview first. And she was like out there tasting the whiskeys. But I really enjoyed it. I, I love the way that she spoke. And when I spoke to her on the phone, even uh, Dr. Kirsty, the world, it sounds, the whiskey sounds so much more awesome when you're talking to her. And at this event, you know, there, there were so many guys everywhere that we went because, of course, most of the places. I also, Alexis, loved her accent when I just, when I saw her, when I heard her on the phone and when I, when I heard the interview with, with, with Leanne as well. I was just like, oh my goodness, I could listen to this all day. And, and they, they sent a guy up here to Joburg who, who was also a bartender. He's like, owns bars in Glasgow. And it was, such an amazing experience but everywhere you go they have like all these bartenders and everybody's like got a beard or got tattoos and six packs and I met this lady and she is a she, she says to me I said so what do you do are you also a bartender she said well she started out as a bartender they call her fox on the rocks which is also just so cool on its own and she actually is a um a cocktail designer. I was like, what? People design, she designs cocktails for a living. She had a little chat with us about being the only girl in a man's world. So you design cocktails? Yes. And how did you start? Um, I started bartending. Sorry, my microphone's not working. Cool. So you have to do that. Um, I started bartending. Um, I actually studied film. And during film school, I was working as a bartender in my spare time trying to make some money so I could eat. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just started messing around with cocktails. I really enjoyed it's a male-dominant environment. I was one of the only girls in the in the industry at the time. Um, and I just started, I was like, I'm going to kill this. I'm going to wax this. Like, screw you guys. I've got this. And that's how I started. I eventually realized I have a very good palate for um, mixing drinks and blending and, and, you know, flavor balances and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I started moving more, focusing on that. So what's the favorite cocktail that you've created? My favorite, oh, my own creation. Yeah. 
I know it's like asking you about your favorite child. Yeah. Everyone's got one. Um, I think my most famous, most favorite is a coriander and Dijon Bloody Mary that I do. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, so you just take vodka, so it's a standard Bloody Mary uh, mix, yeah. So it's if I don't know what a Bloody Mary mix is, <laughs> yes, yeah, <so> it's basically <laughs> it's basically um, very good for your hips. <laughs> it's vodka and then topped with tomato juice, um, black pepper, Tabasco sauce, um, salt, pepper. Yeah, that's that's your standard sort of mix, and then I add two tablespoons of Dijon mustard in, and fresh coriander blended. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it, it tastes like it's healthy for you, but it's actually alcoholic, which is great, and it can replace any meal. <laughs> so, so, so it's a bit of a diet plan while you're getting drunk at the same time. It's a good one. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah, good. Yeah, all works for itself. And how long have you been doing this? This is my ninth year. Ninth year. Mm. Do you miss film? I never got into film. I, I finished studying and I just bypassed the bar thing just took over before I even got in there. So I've never, nothing to miss. <laughs> so is this like the best job ever in the history of the world? This is a hard job because like I said, it's a male-dominated environment. Uh, it's hard to be taken seriously as a girl in this environment. But you also have to have a lot of stamina because it's like 18-hour shift at a time. I train people all day long. I make drinks all day long. I have to drink all day and I know it sounds like, oh, what a chilled Shame. life. But it's actually hectic. Like, it is actually hectic. Travel a lot? Um, yeah, traveling all over the place. But it is a fucking cool job. Sorry, excuse my French, but it is a fucking cool job. It's okay, your French doesn't matter. We speak French too at yeah, home. Good. good, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. That's very cool. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely amazing, and and the kind of drinks that they were out there making. I still haven't made my uh, Bloody Mary, my uh, mojito Bloody Mary. But when she was talking about it, and she was just so cool. And thank you again to Fox Fox on the Rocks, and thank you to Leanne for taking your time out and going out there. But what what I then thought would be the perfect way to end this conversation about girls in an incredibly male dominated world is I thought that. James Brown is the only person that said it best. This is that day. This is that day. I got a thing on my Facebook saying some days should come with a warning that says today you need chocolate. This is definitely that day. I'm having those horrible, horrible, horrible days where I definitely need chocolate. But Duncan's fixed it now. This is James Brown and it's a man's world. This is a man's world. Cliffcentral.com. I definitely am going to need a drink after this show. This is um, one of those mornings, as I was saying. But this conversation, and so the conversation about the whiskey, having a drink and being out there in, in the most spectacular place um, in Joburg, and I don't even remember what, in Maboning, I was engrossed in all sorts of crazy, crazy relationships. And I'm sure you all know a little like most girls, I have a bit of a drink and the conversation gets very, very um, loose, as it were. And and as I was, even even in the moments, but as I was thinking about the conversations that we had and the amazing whiskey that we drank, one of the things that was totally an, an incredible, <laughs> incredible moment to reflect on was some of the things that we as girls see as guilty pleasures. But guys just kind of 
that's the part of their life. You know, guys have a drink of whiskey, have a cigar now and again, can have sex for fun. And every one of those things girls look at with a little bit of a giggle. We kind of have conversations around it that make us, hmm, a little queasy. We need a drink sometimes to get into the conversation. So as I was chatting with a friend of mine, she told me about these workshops. Jade, a couple of weeks ago, had... Uh, the, the bedroom talking just as 50 shades of gray was coming out and I went to, to check it out. I went to check out the bedroom and I got into this conversation with one of the sales ladies. Her name's Chelsea there. And she's going to be running these workshops that are all about getting to that naughty part of yourself and getting to know yourself a little bit better and getting to know your own sexuality. So you don't feel like, um, you need a drink before you get into any one of those compromising positions or even to pleasure yourself and I had a conversation with her about her workshops and what it what it is that um, the workshops entail so this is Chelsea from the bedroom just talking a little bit about the the workshops that she'll be running and a very interesting concept called a sociogram which is one of the ways that she has uh, she lets the girls participate so one of the exercises that you do is called a sociogram it's it's based on a, yes, it's a sociogram, so it's a physical sociogram. So a sociogram is a scale for for anything. Um. So it's a scale that you use, yes. the sociogram? Yes. And what kind of questions do you ask? So the questions that are asked, they're more kind of like statements, and how it works is on one side of the scale is naught, which is no, definitely not, and the other side is 10, yes, definitely, and then 5 is like a maybe, and then people kind of work out their, their own meaning for each number, depending on the statement. So, for example, some of the statements, are they're really simple, but they can actually bring out a lot from someone. So one thing, one statement might be like, I understand my sexuality, then you place yourself on the scale. So naught is no, definitely not, or two, or whatever. And then you basically have a whole lot of women standing on different points in the room. And then with, depending on time and stuff, I tap each woman on the shoulder and ask what your score is and why you placed yourself here. And through a series of questioning, they, they might come to realize that, oh, actually, they're not a two, they're a seven, or they're not a seven, they're a three type of thing. So it gets you to actually embody, embody where you place yourself in relation to sexuality at a very simple level, but it's, very, it's a very powerful method in that it does bring up a lot and it catalyzes your own reflection about different, whatever the statement is. And what are the other questions? So take me through the questions. Okay, so... The one state, the other statements are like, the media influences how I embrace my sexuality. So I don't know if you want to place yourself in your head, maybe explore that a bit. <laughs> of course the media influences how I see my sexuality. So where, where do you place yourself? Nought? No? Yeah, ten? Yes, definitely. I would say probably eight. Eight. Because everything I think about myself and how I should be when it comes to sexuality is has been learned from somewhere because it was obviously never a conversation between me and my mom and it was never a exploration of everything. So it comes from somewhere and that's media more than any other thing. Okay, so you're saying a lack of family education in relation to sexuality kind of forced you to find another outlet to learn 
about sexuality. Okay, so from that, then, what about the media influences your sexuality? What exactly? Is it when you watch a story on TV? Is it when you read a magazine, you see a woman and you think, oh, I must look like that and be sexy? That's how I must be sexy? How exactly does the media influence that? In a lot of ways, but maybe differently. For me, the question is, do you find, having done workshops like this, do you find that a lot of women feel that they've been influenced by media when it comes to this and what they they wish they could do about it? I think I haven't done a sociogram in this, the workshops yet because they haven't started yet, but doing it in other spaces, I think... A lot of women are influenced by media. I mean, we're influenced a lot by external influences. And I think if you don't have a strong internal reflective voice in your mind, in your body, in your soul, it's very easy for you to be influenced. So a lot of women have been able to break away from media um, influences and other influences too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is a very prominent thing. The media gets into our unconscious mind very easily through magazines through tv through pictures through billboards it's just all over the place so and in ex- yeah. in exploring one's own sexuality or kind of looking for a discovery like you do in these workshops what are some of the questions if i'm listening to the show today that i could be asking myself that will help me explore that about myself i think it's about being honest with yourself so even if you just, for a day, make it an exercise of observing what influences you in your everyday life. It doesn't have to necessarily be about your sexuality. I mean, you could, like, just being aware of what you say and how you say it and your reactions to people, to places, to things, just having that internal conversation with yourself. Try it for a day. A lot of people are like that, naturally. Some not at all. Some kind of in between. So I think it's about honesty and Asking yourself questions like, okay, seeing that, being observant and seeing that something's influencing you right now and looking at that and asking yourself, how is this influencing me? Um, what's, what could I do to not let it be such a big influence? Um, percentage wise on a naught to a hundred percent, how strong is this influence? cliffcentral.com and after she put me on the spot a little bit with that question I thought what is this girl on about and I asked her about the workshops and all that do you are you going to have to touch yourself when you come to the workshop apparently not um so I'm not sure <laughs> if I'll go to the first session but I did ask her and one of the exercises that that she she plays with the participants of the works of the workshop is an exercise where you get to role play other if other people's um, experiences within the room. So there's a bowl that says your most embarrassing sexual experience, your most satisfying sexual experience, or what you wish for. I think that's the third thing. And everybody writes down their one, and you all put it in the bowl, and you all pick one out, somebody else's one, and you get to act out somebody else's um, feeling or experience. So that opened the door to have an interesting conversation about what are the things that I, I get extremely giggly when I think about sex? And, and I talked to her about this and I said, you know, I do, I need, I need to have a little shot every now and again before I can get into really deep, deep, deep and dark and dangerous conversations about sex. 
And sometimes, you know, with new partners, it's also one of those things where it gets quite freaky and it takes me a little bit of time to to get there. And so I asked her about an embarrassing sexual moment that she wanted to share. She was very candid, old Chelsea, and we love her for that. This is what she had to say about her embarrassing moment. This is explicit a little bit, and she did ask if they're going to be 10-year-olds listening. So if you've got a 10-year-old listening, just keep them out of earshot. Uh, But this is Chelsea's embarrassing sexual moment that she remembers that stands out amongst many, she said. But what I want to know is how you became so comfortable with your sexuality enough to be able to run workshops like this. I think I was I was very experimental from a young age and very defiant towards kind of a little bit of a rebel in that I was defiant towards how people if if people try to define me whether it's to do with my sexuality or the way I am. So I think, yeah, being experimental and just the different processes I've gone through and studying, it's it's allowed me to become reflective and just learn that it's okay to be uncomfortable about your sexual if you are uncomfortable about sexuality, like to sit in discomfort and be okay with that. I think that's moved me through a lot of processes. But in terms of sexuality, it's an ongoing process. So I'm an ongoing process myself. You know, there's no end point. So I think also working at the bedroom has helped me um, be way more comfortable about talking about sex and relationship issues and stuff like that. How do you find a job like this? I love it. It's a lot of fun. Um, There's a lot of very interesting people. it's kind of interesting to see how diff- how people how many people like take sexuality differently or how they view sexuality and view sex um, and it's interesting to see like the the problems that people come into the shop with because um, they're also different. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot from working. <laughs> so yeah. one of the exercises you do in, in the workshop is um, about one's own sexual encounters and so remembering the embarrassing moments or favorite uh, encounters Uh, what's your embarrassing moment Uh, (laughs) that's very funny oh my goodness I don't know if I want to say this out loud (laughs) Um, now you have to sure (laughs) okay I guess practice what I preach right um so <laughs> there was this one time because I'm I I'm bisexual, so I've experienced men and women sexually. So one of my first experiences with a woman <laughs> was um, basically we were getting down to it, and then my hand. I don't know how much I can say on you. Yeah, so it's on radio. There's no. It's uncut and uncensored. You can say whatever you want. No. To this. Okay. So basically, <laughs> basically, yeah, we were engaging in some foreplay and my hands went down there and she basically then said, you do know which hole you're in, right? <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know which hole I was at. So yeah, that was very embarrassing. <laughs> but it was very funny as well. And I guess being being in the wrong hole, I learned a lot as well. Did you laugh about it? Yes, or, we did uh, not in the moment. In the moment, we did actually laugh because <laughs> she was also a little bit unexperienced. So, 
Yeah, that's my one of my embarrassing encounters. What of? So there are many more. <laughs> there's like with sex, there's a lot of there's a lot of space to do embarrassing things. Um, yeah, you just have to laugh at it, and that's how you learn by doing embarrassing things, right? Or making mistakes. Do you help people choose toys when they come here at the shop? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Cause what are the questions I should be asking myself if, I, if I'm interested in, in buying a toy? Mm-hmm. Where does one start? And I, I remember when I first saw on Sex and the City, mm-hmm. the, the very first time there was like mainstream in my world, a mainstream conversation about sex toys mm-hmm. was on Sex and the City. And I've never gotten the image which is why media plays such a big thing in my yes. never gotten the image out of my head mm-hmm. of oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm. so it's a daunting experience how how does a girl get going to say i'd like to buy a sex toy where should i start i think definitely knowing what you prefer so there are toys that are for clitoral stimulation so external stimulation and then there are toys for internal g spot Stimulation, And then there's toys that can do both. So I think it's about knowing what, as a woman, what you prefer. Um, if you don't know that, then you need to start experimenting with yourself or your partner and finding that out in order to choose a sex toy. But generally with, with women, clitoral stimulation is always works, generally, depending on the woman. But the, yeah, generally it does. So I'd start with a clitoral toy for women if you want to choose a toy. Sounds exciting. So obviously the most important thing sounds like you better know what you're into. So you better know yourself and your own sexuality before you can get any kind of pleasure or any kind of guidance into where you go. Exactly. And it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey you have to take. It's not like a one day thing and you're going to learn and know yourself all of a sudden. It's a, it's a journey. An everyday thing. Thank you so much for chatting with me. That is Dead Press talking propaganda, and it's all it's all Duncan's propaganda. Because I I was very specific to Duncan that I wanted um to play Dead Press today, and that's his favorite song. And all I wanted to talk about was mind sex because it, it's all in the, all, all in the line, all in the line of what we're talking about. So we're talking, we're talking about sexual exploration. I'm talking about getting to know yourself better. And most importantly, something you can do on Monday nights next week at the park, at the bedroom in Parkhurst is they'll be running these workshops for women about sexual exploration. And as she said to me, as Chelsea said to me, it's actually not about touching yourself and about external sex as such. It is just about knowing yourself and knowing what it is that you love and gives you pleasure. And this is what Chelsea had to tell about the workshop itself. So when you say applied drama, mm-hmm. what does that mean for a person that, that is coming for the first time? What they can, what can they expect? Okay, so applied drama is basically using drama techniques and methods to, for educational and therapeutic purposes. So it creates a space for people to really be interactive in the process, not just to listen to someone talking about something and learning passively, but rather learning experientially. So it's about experiencing 
moment. So if people come to the workshops, they'll experience exercises and activities that might challenge them to reflect on their own sexuality, sexuality in a broad frame. So not just the act of sex, not just sexual orientation, not just gender, but the way we express ourselves as women, as sexual beings. And yeah, so that's basically in a nutshell what applied drama is. What if I'm shy? Coming into this workshop. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if you're shy because the workshops are structured in such a way that they don't throw you into the deep end. So you could be kind of like move slowly into it. There'll be icebreakers and as a facilitator, I can sense how far people can go. So I won't push people over the edge. I might challenge them slightly as far as they can go, but I won't be forceful. And there's always ways to work around that. Will people be expected to like, pleasure themselves no, not at all it's definitely not those types of workshops it's not about people pleasuring themselves or taking mirrors and looking at their vaginas no it's not not about that at all it's beyond that it's really beyond that it's yeah no it's definitely not that what do you mean beyond that beyond that as in like i think society focuses a lot on trying to get ple- like se- with sexual pleasure like in a relationship if if the sex is not working people think it's an external thing so they they try to buy vibrators and massage oils and things to spice things up which do work but they forget about the internal and psychological processes and basically they forget to reflect on themselves and their feelings of what's going on um thinking that they can solve the problem externally without balancing it with internal kind of reflection so the workshops are beyond the the physical and the external in some way um because they they make people go internally and reflect on things on an internal kind of level from that from that point and and what do you do one-on-one sessions for people that that are absolute because the one thing about sexuality mm-hmm. for me as a girl is Growing up with so much of it being so taboo, it's difficult not just to talk about it, but to also be in a room full of strangers exploring your own personal journey. journey. Yes. Well, the activities are set up in such a way as you, you don't have to reveal anything you're not comfortable with. So, and there's also games and ex- activities that work in the metaphor. So, using like role plays, you're creating characters. People will automatically project their own issues into a character. And so, working with issues in that way. So, if people are uncomfortable being direct, th- there are exercises that can kind of separate you from, from those issues so that you can look at your own issues and upbringing and stuff from the outside. Um, yeah, and then I think uh, one-on-one I don't really do. I feel like a group process is actually better for this because a lot of women can learn from each other. So the workshops cater for different age groups, obviously over 18, um, and older women can learn from younger women and vice versa. And it's a space to learn from each other and also to realize that you're your own expert of your own life and your own sexuality and that you have that wisdom inside of you to... to change and grow and move forward um, cliffcentral.com end part two in the, in the part of in in this past week i've been on a big uh, journey of discovery i've been on a journey of discovering new drinking tastes and i discovered 
that I do actually like drinking whiskey, a particular type of whiskey mixed with ginger ale, because I'm not, I'm not there yet. Oh, Palista's got a big grin on her face. <laughs> we put up a picture on our, on our, um, on, there's a picture of us having fun out there with like a very skimply clad young lady from, <laughs> from the party, but Palista's also definitely a big, Big flavored whiskey and ginger ale is what I discovered this week. But I also discovered a little bit more about sexual health and sexual blossoming, which at my age is still quite an exciting little experience to be talking about. And I hope you had an you had the opportunity just listening to Chelsea and maybe take a look at her website, take a look at what she's doing. And if you've got nothing else to do on a Monday night, it's worth taking taking a drive out there to Parkhurst and exploring a little bit more about yourself. If you are looking for something to do this weekend, a couple of weeks ago, we had psych Shannon, the psychic on the show. She, I had a chat with her this morning and she's having an event this coming weekend at Maboning. So you can also do that this weekend at Maboning. And as I look out the window there at three minutes to seven, I see Dr. Cindy is already here, not half as stressed out as I was. Definitely, she and her guests are here, and they're also talking sex. It's a big time. It's a big thing today. She's also talking sex, so stay tuned. Dr. Cindy coming up next. I'm Pumi Mashiko, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Womandla today. Thank you for all the love and support. Thank you for the love, Alexis. Thank you for the love, Brad. Brad, I always want to thank you for the love because I get so much love from Brad, and who's laughing at me and today about her, about her whiskey tasting. And I do get to play out with the song that I did want to play a little bit earlier. It's Dead Prayers, and it's called Mind Sex. Have a Fabulous week.